the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Christianity, is it what you do or is it who you are? We'll explore that dynamic here today on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. Christianity, it functions from within, not from without. And that is the premise we base today's broadcast on. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Emeritus Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We invite you to join us today as our series, Living the Christian Life, continues. And today, we understand the truth of the matter that our lives as Christians is lived from within, not from without. To explain further, once again, here's Pastor Phil on today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Let's go to Romans 6. And um, the idea that we want to look at is that Christianity functions from within, not from without. And what we're trying to say by that is that Christianity is not an external religion insofar as we're not dependent on ceremonies, a, a priesthood, animal sacrifices, uh, ten rules, someone outside of us that motivates us. Christianity has moved into the temple of the heart, and it's a faith of uh, you worship in spirit and in truth. If you're living your Christianity uh, just by the Sermon on the Mount, as it were, are just commands and expectations, you will fail miserably. uh, And you are failing, no doubt. And the dynamic that is unleashed for us in Romans 5, 12, through this sixth chapter, is God has united his people to Jesus Christ. He got us out of Adam, and he transferred us and united us in his mind to Christ. Now, that union is real. It, it was a union in which God has given you credit for having died with Christ. I mean, that is remarkable that God in his estimation says, you died with Christ. Uh, you were buried with Christ. You've been risen with Christ to walk in newness of life. Now he goes into chapter 6, and he describes that union, and he says, the dynamics of living for God is knowing that you belong to him. You must know that as a fact. And then counting on it in verse 11, you reckon yourselves or count it to be true that you are alive because you're united with Christ, a new focus. And then you start yielding your members or putting your body at his disposal. You, you're available. Uh, you know the girl has bought into your love when she willingly gives you her lip and gives you a good night kiss. 
Until then, she's never signed off. Now, she, this, you know, finally, you know what? I'm willing. A willing kiss. And I see that as what happens when you start yielding to Jesus Christ. It's the yieldness of a heart that shows up and here I am. Take me. Now, he begins in verse 15, the section we want to look at. And he starts these words. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Now, notice what he said back in 6.1. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? May it never be. Now he says, shall we live a life of sin because we're under grace and not under law? The law of Moses. By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are not, you are weak in your natural selves. Now that's interesting. He uses the slavery analogy because of their mental, spiritual weakness perception. They, they can't get the connection, so he's used slavery. I think he, he would prefer to use something else, but he says, To accommodate your understanding, I use this illustration. Then he says, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. And think of holiness here as Christ-likeness. I'm becoming holy in that I'm being conformed to the person of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm taking on his characteristics. Uh, where did I leave? When you were slaves, verse 20, to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he goes into chapter 7. I want us to read it. I hope we can get that far. He says, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, especially Jewish uh, believers, that the law has authority over man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. Imagine a woman in a bad marriage under the law. There's no way she can get out of it. 
and not be considered an adulteress except her husband die. And so she offers unique kosher cookie. I praise every night. The hope is let him die. So if he dies, verse 4, so my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now... By dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Not external, not law, not codes, but the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's consider our notes. Christians are not under the law, but under grace. Uh, What does that mean? The law, we're thinking of the law of Moses. We're taking uh, from Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy. 613 commandments, not just the Ten Commandments. Ceremonial, moral, uh, worship laws, laws about hygiene, laws about every aspect of life. Many laws which are very effective, even if they were used today, but... The believer in Christ is not under the law in three areas. He never has been under the law for justification. You never do get a man right with God on the basis of law keeping. So no one's ever been. Abraham was not justified before God on the basis of the law. For he was before the law. And everybody under the law never did get a right relationship with God because of the law. That's why Moses offered the sacrificial system, because they broke the law. They needed a sacrifice and faith. So no one could be right with God on the basis of law keeping. Okay? Two, this is an amazing thing. And you see this in Galatians. No one becomes what God wants ultimately or is sanctified or has the sin nature brought under control by means of the law. Matter of fact, the law stirs up sin in us. That the command, he said, that was meant for life brought death. And you get Romans three twenty that the law was given that every mouth might be shut. That is claiming righteousness. It, it proves us all guilty, having failed in some way. So the law is not the means of getting you sanctified, although it's good, holy, and acceptable. And he says that in chapter 7. And then thirdly, the law is not a rule of life for the Christian, and it never has been. It was for Israel. From Exodus 19 to the completion of the Gospels, we're living under the Mosaic law, the people of God. They've got to go to temple. They've got to bring sacrifices. Uh, they're under the regulations of Moses. And so all of a sudden in the book of Acts, the big question was, do we put the Gentiles under the law? Acts 15 says, we don't put them under the law of Moses. And Peter says, why put a yoke on them that neither we nor our forefathers were able to bear? 
So it's not our rule of life, law. We're not under the law. But we're not lawless. We don't live lawless. Now, if you don't have the law, what is the basis for behavior? Grace. We're under grace. What does that mean? Grace means we live under a relationship with God totally based on the work of Christ for us so that in our relationship, get this, you got this is key, because with law came penalty for breaking it. If there's law, there must be penalty. But under grace, hear this, hear this well, and I want you to disprove it. If I'm wrong, disprove it. You're never under penalty in this family. There is no divine penalty once you become a Christian. Think that through. How many think that's true? Oh, you just agree. No, do you really? How many can disprove that statement? Well, if we're not under penalty, wouldn't that sound like you can live any way you want and get away with it? If I'm not under penalty, that means I can live as I please. What is he saying in Romans 6? Shall we sin because we're under grace? No, no, no. God forbid. Shall we sin because we're not under law? No, no, no. Well, well, what's going to keep us straight? What's going to keep us from just going out here and burning up the town? He's saying you're under grace, and that is uh, you're under this relationship of unmerited favor with God so that God does something in the heart. You obey and please him out of a different motive than the fear of penalty. It's the desire to please him. The desire to please him. Uh, I want to please someone that's been gracious to me. Uh, What if I do sin? What goes into motion? Uh, Will it be law or grace? No, it will be grace. For God takes all of his sons and he disciplines them to behave right. But it's all gracious. It's never a threat. You're not my child if you don't obey. He says in Titus, we're being the grace of God teaches us to live godly and righteously in this present world so we have the Spirit in the Spirit of grace teaching you the Christian life. And when you fall down learning to walk, there's never this threat. There will be no threat. Why can that be? Because he has said in chapter 5 and 6, penalty already fell on our substitute. Did Christ pay for your sins? If it fell on Christ, he never has to penalize those joined to Christ again about their sin. He doesn't even send them to hell when they sin. Isn't that great? And somebody say, oh, good. I'm free to sin. No, you don't. If you're really saved, you can't even imagine it. Saved people are not thinking of ways they want to sin. We fail. We fall. But we're not out here planning a life of sin, right? You just, just, I just don't want to. 
And so this is what he's saying, that the grace of God, under grace means God is teaching me, Titus 2, 11 through 13. Uh, he's training me as a son, Hebrews 12. He disciplines me as a father would a child, but he never penalizes me like a judge would a criminal. That's the difference. I'm not under the law. There's no penalty. God has no penalty for the Christian. He'll grieve by the Spirit. He'll discipline by grace. He will not let you get away with it because he's going to correct you, train you, uh, show you the right way. But forever, I'm under no threat of divine penalty. I'm under no kind of condemnation. Now, if believers could get that, I think it would liberate them. Because Christianity doesn't function off of guilt very well. Guilt is a poor motivator. It won't last. Uh, It's like this morning when I wanted to preach on prayer. You know, if I preach on prayer, money, or evangelism, you have immediate guilt as soon as you read the text. Oh, I ought to pray more. I should evangelize. I haven't been doing my giving like I should. You need to immediately produce guilt. But guilt won't get us to do it. It's uh, showing the blessing, showing the grace of it, showing what God wants to do for you in it. That is what whets the appetite. Guilt is, guilt is charged, but I still don't do it. Well, let's keep on here. He's saying that uh, we're not under law, but under grace, and that not being under law doesn't make us lawless, because the Spirit and the love of God makes us excel everything the law commanded. Romans 13, Galatians 5 says, when you love like God tells you, you will do everything the law commanded without the law. I don't need the law to tell me not to steal from you if I love you. If I do a positive thing, I'm going to love you. I don't even need a commandment that says don't steal from you. It's impossible to do both. So the positive aspect of Christianity is love people. Love God. Love your neighbor. And the Spirit's there to produce it. And you don't need to consult a little code book. Uh, Did I steal anything? Well, I shouldn't really cuss them. I really shouldn't be mean to them. You don't need any of that. Just positively love them. And you will exceed all that the law commanded. Because the law were the minimum requirements within a theocratic state. A state in which God was king. But now... We're in the Christian life. He said, the spirit and the word and an attitude that you're under grace, not law. I hope this is making sense. Uh, Save your question to the end or interrupt if it gets foggy in here. Okay, Uh, let's go down here. Being under grace does not mean we are free to sin. And then I just want to give you some terms to understand. Uh, Antinomian... You may read this in literature. It's the word anti and nomos, the word for law in Greek. So he's saying we're not anti-law. And it came to mean we're not saying, yippee, I'm saved. I can live as I please. Uh, If you got that attitude, you're not saved biblically. Uh, Other words, I used to be afraid of eternal security because from where I grew up and the way we perceived it, it was licensed to sin. Oh, I got saved in a Billy Graham crusade, and I've lived like hell ever since, and this is Christianity. 
said, folks I ran with said, no, no, no. God doesn't keep you in sin. That's not salvation. Right? And this is known as antinomianism. I just want to give you another term for the way you've been trying to live, maybe. We're not anti the rules. We're not trying to just throw everything. And so James says, hey, he who knows the law, knows the word, he wants to keep it. It's all over the Bible. We're not anti-right living just because we're under grace. Uh, Easy believism. You may not even run into these terms. There's a big battle that raged for a long time. Easy believism was this kind of thing. Uh, I went forward in an altar call, and I haven't followed God since, but I'm going to heaven. Because I said yes. Maybe in junior church. And it's just this idea. All you got to do is believe, and you say. Did you ever believe? Yeah, I did that in junior church. Well, where have you been since? Oh, I've been out in the world 25 years. Uh, Have you ever changed? No. Uh, But I believe. I believe God's there. Uh, That's an easy believism that says faith has no life-changing results. That is anathema. Saving faith can never leave you the way it found you. It changes those who put faith. And to believe is never easy. To believe in God is a supernaturally enabled thing. Only God can make you believe in the quality of faith that saves. So we're not into easy believism. Just, oh, you put Christ. You don't even talk about repentance. I just believed at a meeting. I'm saved and I got it. You can't. No, no. Has your faith resulted in works? Good works. No, your faith is worthless. You will perish with such faith. It's not just a little dose of religion, and you go on as you were. Um, And then eternal security versus perseverance. I think you need to know this, uh, that what we really, if I said the language, you wouldn't even know it anymore. What I really think we need to say is when you get saved, we know who's really saved, and this is how we know. All the saved persevere to the end. All the truly saved persevere to the end. Now, I grew up in Pentecostal circles. We believe that. And if you didn't persevere, you said you just lost your salvation. We always believed in perseverance. And if you didn't, you were lost, right? So we were always taught backsliding and and that type thing. This isn't too far from it in this extent that it says, the proof of who knows God is perseverance. Now, think that through. In the easy believism stuff, everybody's just carnal if they're not in church. And we can say, well, they'll they'll be there. Perseverance says you have no right to claim assurance of salvation if you've got a salvation that doesn't enable you to persevere. That's different. Most of us grew up on a lot. The grace people in this church grew up on easy believism because I used to teach it pretty strong that way. But John Calvin and the Reformers, they said the proof of the truly elect is they may fall, they may have diverse temptations, their faith may be weak, they may have moments of lapse, they may sin like a Peter who denied his Lord, 
But it's the ultimate direction of the life, the ultimate push inside that the sheep may fall down in the hog pen. But because he's a sheep, he will not stay there. He gets up and he keeps pursuing this God who's called him by his name. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to His knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855 833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855- 833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.